Welcome and thank you for listening to today's podcast by Benelong Funds Management. My name is Holly Old and I am one of Benelong's Melbourne-based account directors. Today, I'm very pleased that Sarah Shaw, Global Portfolio Manager, CIO and Founder of 4D Infrastructure will be joining me. Hello, Sarah, and welcome. Thanks for having me. Sarah, before we start, I thought it important to just take a moment to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we live and work and to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Now, Sarah, in March of this year, you and the 4D team ticked over the five-year anniversary of your highly successful global infrastructure fund. And during that time, you have been able to provide returns for investors over 9% per annum over five years, which is net of fees, which are not only great returns, but have you sitting above the peer set. So congratulations on that great milestone. Thanks very much, Holly. We're pretty proud of it. But today I wanted to cover a specific and very topical area that I think can really be captured by infrastructure as an asset class, and that is decarbonisation. So a decarbonisation goals a threat or an opportunity uh, to global infrastructure outlook? It's a great question, and look, we see decarbonisation only enhancing the infrastructure investment opportunity. Uh, the world has enjoyed, you know, a couple of centuries of really strong progress, uh, which has seen developed market industrialization, uh, huge and, and ongoing population growth. It's seen globalization, uh, and in more recent times, the emergence of a growing middle class in the developing countries. However, uh, this progress has created a number of climatic challenges, uh, which, if left unaddressed, could see the planet we all rely on struggle to sustain a livable future. Uh, importantly, though, the world has recognised the challenge uh, and is working towards solutions and a new sustainable future. At the heart of this is the need for decarbonisation and meeting global goals set out in the Paris Agreement to effectively be net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Now, infrastructure on the face of it could be considered to be part of the problem. Uh, its build-out has certainly supported the economic progress mentioned over the last century or two. However, uh, at 4D, we truly believe that infrastructure is now a core and integ integral part of the climate solution. Now, while the speed of that ultimate decarbonisation remains very unclear, there does appear to be a real opportunity for multi-decade investment as every country moves towards a cleaner environment. Energy transition and decarbonisation of the power sector is a very obvious to make and will have the greatest impact on countries looking for net zero. However, other forms of infrastructure, such as transportation, also have a very key role to play. And when you talk about net zero, what does that actually mean? Look, um, concerns over, over climate change and, and in particular rising levels of carbon dioxide emissions uh, initially emerged in the early 1990s which culminated in the United Nations Climate Conference of Parties, or COP, in 1995, the first COP. These concerns led to uh, the birth of a number of environmental movements around the globe. Now, international climate policy actually fundamentally changed, however, at the 21st COP in 2015, you know, thinking that we're about to come up to the 26th. And in 2015, uh, the Paris Agreement was agreed. Now, this, this is an agreement within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change dealing with greenhouse gas emissions, the, the mitigation, adaptation, and how we finance a cleaner environment. 
So the central aim to the Paris Agreement is to strengthen the global response to the threat of climate change. And they're doing that by keeping global temperature rises this century to well below two degrees Celsius. And that's above pre-industrial levels. Uh, and then, you know, over time to pursue, you know, even further limits uh, on, these, uh, on, on these temperature rises. In addition, the agreement aims to increase the ability of, of countries to deal with the impact of climate change and, and to make finance and, and the flows of, of, of that finance um, consistent with, with low greenhouse gas emissions and, and sort of climate resilient uh, futures. So the Paris Agreement requires all parties to put forward their best efforts uh, through uh, what they call nationally determined contributions and to strengthen these efforts in the years ahead. So it came into force in November 2016. And since then, 192 parties of the 197 to the original convention have actually ratified that agreement. So in order to achieve the goals outlined in the Paris Agreement, uh, it is thought that global greenhouse gas emissions need to be at or net, net zero by 2050. So net zero refers to a position in which annual carbon dioxide or CO2 emissions into the environment are balanced by those taken out. Now, decarbonisation is the process by which the amounts of CO2 emitted into the atmosphere is reduced. So to get to net zero, the world must come together to reduce net emissions from current levels of over 50 gigatons of CO2 a year to zero. So look, it is a mammoth task, uh, to say the least, and, and it needs supports from governments as well as the populace to balance what we see as the often conflicting goals of environmental sustainability while still fostering things like population growth, economic advancement and social ideals. So it will also require advances in technology uh, and widespread adoption of new technology, uh, all of which require significant ongoing investment in infrastructure to support this transition. So while um, there is broad support for the objectives of the Paris Agreement, there is not yet a full commitment to net zero emission targets. And look, this is partly due to governments working to balance those environmental, social and government's requirements at a domestic level. We are seeing Europe lead the charge, uh, but we need greater global commitment at the leadership level uh, to see this goal uh, attained. If we don't, uh, it, it just won't. Um, now, in the case of Australia, after decades of political argument, we now look like we're getting closer to committing to net zero by 2050. Uh, although it does still see, seem to be some significant question marks. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how how uh, Australia responds, um, you know, as we go into the COP this year. It's been a, all over the news at the moment, our, our plan, which seems to be a few questions around it at the moment. So, um, so Sarah, you say that infrastructure can, pay, can play a key part of the solution. How, how can it do that? On the face of it, uh, infrastructure has significantly contributed to current environmental concerns, uh, and that's really because uh, electrification and, and transportation are big drivers of carbon emissions. Uh, however, unless we improve those two areas, electrification and transportation, uh, with new infrastructure investment, uh, we won't get to net zero. Uh, so net zero requires increased uh, investment in infrastructure uh, in advanced uh, technologies. Uh, 
So this opportunity is a key thematic uh, to which investors, including ourselves, can gain exposure to. And, it, and it's, as I've mentioned, it's not one that's been derailed by COVID-19. In fact, uh, it's actually been enhanced as, as governments fast track uh, green policies as, as part of the much needed economic stimulus programs. So let's just very briefly focus in on those two key carbon emitting industries, you know, namely the energy or electricity sector and transport and how we can play a part. So electricity generation is a core contributor to CO2 emissions. Um, it's around 25% of all global carbon emissions. Now, there is still a lot of scepticism about the world's ability to achieve this, uh, but the commitment uh, is real. Uh, with increasing political and social support. And now it requires significant investment in the form of increased renewable energy sources, such as wind, solar and hydro capacity. It requires investment in transmission and distribution infrastructure to get that new zero emission electricity where it's needed. And it requires strengthening of the security of supply uh, through large scale energy storage so that we don't have um, intermittent supply or we don't have outages. We also believe it's, uh, it's that the challenge of carbon neutrality uh, cannot be practically met uh, with the cost and capability of technology as it is today, even with the advances that we've seen. So in other words, we must assume some major improvements in technology and a continued lowering in its cost to feasibly implement carbon neutrality by 2050, while still ensuring electricity affordable for affordability for customers. So new clean technologies such as utility-scale battery, um, the, the much-touted green hydrogen and carbon capture and storage are all technologies that will have a role to play uh, as we approach the, 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 the deadline of 2050. Now, renewable energy is clear starting points and the cornerstone of decarbonisation uh, with both direct uh, uh, impacts and indirect impacts. Uh, so you see a reduction in fossil fuels, but you're also facilitating clean mobility and, and the advancement of green hydrogen. So this renewable power then needs to be connected to users and then the system requires increased investment uh, to ensure that everyone can still access power as they need it. So that's a huge investment in infrastructures to support and facilitate this. Now, companies engaged in the provision of electricity uh, through energy transportation, storage, generation, transmission and distribution, they make up a significant proportion of the global listed infrastructure investment universe. So utility stocks globally are recognising the very important role they need to play in the energy transition. And at 4D, we favour those that are forward thinking and are capitalising on this opportunity, um, such as pure play renewables, or those integrated along the value chain, such as e-patrol in Spain or, or Nextera Energy out of the US. Okay, great. And you mentioned the transport sector. What does that look like when it comes to carbon? Uh, it's another big emitter. It accounts for 15% of global CO2 emissions. Energy demand from the transportation sector is also expected to grow rapidly between now and 2015. Uh, we've got road transportation, which accounts for the majority uh, of, of the CO2 emissions today but aviation will grow at the fastest rate as a consequence of the emerging middle class and more people uh, exploring the world. As such, to, to deliver on a greener world, focus must also be directed to greener transport. Uh, now, ultimately, this will come at the cost to users, 
However, investment in infrastructure can help reduce this burden and, and create that greener mobility world. Uh, for example, we've got the rise of electric vehicles and, and even things like clever roads. Uh, so if you think about motor vehicle penetration, it's, it's grown rapidly over the last 100 years, uh, in, in line with that improving wealth demographics and, and also the, the decline in the cost of uh, a motor vehicle uh, as more and more budget options have entered the market. But this increase in penetration has created significant congestion um, across cities that were designed for such an influx of vehicle. Now, this is where the environmental ramifications come. So you have just the sheer number of emitting cars on roads. You have congestion levels compounding those emissions as, as journey times are lengthened. And you have the demand for materials and more roads. Um, so the construction industry uh, adds to that emission. So if you look at cars, they account for 7% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So over half of the, or close to half of the transport sector. So we need to revamp this sector. We need uh, decarbonisation targets that are achievable. Uh, we need to allow people to still own cars, to still drive cars, to still evolve, but we need it to be in a cleaner way. So the motor car itself must decarbonise, uh, and we're seeing that with the rise of the electric vehicles, and we're seeing countries support the transition uh, by subsidising um, electric vehicles and actually putting restrictions on, on gas-based vehicles. But then we also need to improve the infrastructure to facilitate this. So we need to cut down congestion times and we need to support these uh, greener transportation measures. So as an infrastructure investor, we're looking to um, focus in on those uh, companies again that are facilitating the future of road transportation. Um, a couple of good examples here are, are Ferrovial and, and Australia's own Transurban which are both heavily involved in the build out of managed toll roads across the USA that facilitate dynamic tolling, uh, which allows the operators to manage traffic flow with tolls and, and you're optimising not only the user experience, but you're reducing travel times and congestion. And another great example is Vinci out of Europe, which in itself has um, ambitious environmental targets at the group level, but is also exploring things like uh, green roads, uh, and um, where, which are manufactured with carbon neutral materials. So there's really good ways that these companies uh, that are forward thinking can facilitate the lower emissions from the transport sector. Today, I've clearly touched on the, on, on the road sector, which is, is a large area of the um, transportation emissions, but air and sea will also play a role, uh, but their role, I think, will be facilitated more by the evolution of things like green hydrogen, which I think will be absolute game changer in these areas. So, as I said many times, uh, at 40, you know, we think the E, the S and the G are all very important to the sustainability of companies. Uh, they're all um, embedded in our process and, and we do believe that those companies that adhere to strong uh, standards on this will outperform. However, we're not labelling ourselves green. Uh, we think sustainability is integral to any investment process. Um, so we aren't calling ourselves a green fund, uh, although it's clearly an important step to our process. As a thematic, we've got decarbonisation. How are you and the 4D team actively investing in this decarbonisation thematic? Look, I think uh, as we've discussed today, decarbonisation must happen uh, and the goal of net zero is, is just not achievable without the right forms of infrastructure investment across both the energy and the transport sectors. So this, this is where we see a significant opportunity for infrastructure investors like us 
to be part of the solution. Uh, so sustainability in ESG is embedded in our philosophy and process. Uh, we believe that the proper analysis of those integrated elements uh, at both a country and a corporate level, you, as an investor, we can capitalise on this very large and long duration decarbonisation thematic and be a part of a sustainable future. So we manage a diversified portfolio of stocks across the utility and transport sectors. We prioritise both countries and companies with strong management teams, define strategic environmental goals that integrate with an ESG policy. We're looking for strong balance sheets to support the much needed investment. And those that are best in class within their sector in building a sustainable infrastructure footprint. So this applies whether it be a fuel play renewable operator, toll roads supporting electric vehicles and a reduction in congestion or, or airports that are themselves targeting net zero. So this assessment dictates a company's quality grade at 4D and we must marry this quality with valuation uh, to warrant an investment into our portfolio. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. Um, well, that was the last of my questions and um, it's been fantastic to chat to you today about this topic and, and you've shared some really interesting um, information there. So thank you again for your time today. Um, and for those listeners, um, the 4D infrastructure team produce regular updates via their Global Matters paper. Please reach out to your Benelong account director if you would like to receive these or if you would like further information on the 4D Global Infrastructure Fund. I wanted to thank you once again, Sarah, for your, for your candour today, and I look forward to chatting to you again sometime in the future. Thanks very much for your time.